Let's go, girls. Hi, Christina. Hey, Brenda. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Can you hear me okay? Oh, yeah. I hear you fine. I realized right when it was 7 o'clock, I had my computer headphones plugged in, and I, for some reason, thought they were just going to plug right into my phone, but they're a different kind, so I was scrambling for my other ones, so Uh I'm glad you can hear me okay. (laughs) So I guess we can just start, um, dive right into it. I do want to kind of give reference to how we met for our listeners um, just about the trip. And I know everyone that's listened to my podcast is totally sick of (laughs) hearing about the trip to West Virginia because that was a great, that was a great trip though. And it was a great group of ladies too. It really was. And that's why half of my guests so far are from that trip because (laughs) I wanted to catch up with everybody. It's a year has passed since we all met and so much has happened. So it was really great meeting you and all the ladies on the trip. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, from every walk of life, varying ages, and it was, um, the connection was was really good as well. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, that was when I just planned the trip with, uh, with Kate um, to New Zealand, and she recommended the, the fly fishing event to me and qu- quickly signed on. Oh, so you guys, so that's what it was. You guys had known each other before the trip. How long have you guys known each other? Actually, not very long. Kate um, worked as a shooting instructor at Cavalier Rifle and Pistol, which is a shooting club not far from where I live here in the Richmond, Virginia area. And um, we're kind of spoiled. They have so many different fields to shoot on. And one is they have a uh, shooting clay course. They they set up sort of like five stand and it has, I think, like 21 different clay representations. But Kate was an instructor there. And um, so that's how I met Kate. Very cool. Now, I definitely want to get into, because you've been spending a lot of time at that range. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that you so gracefully share on social media. Um, but before we dive into the thick of, the thick of it all, um, can you just give our listeners a quick snapshot of who Christina is? You said you're from Virginia um, and what your day to day looks like today. Uh well, I'm probably your stereotypical um, suburban housewife. <laughs> um, we have two sons. My husband's an orthodontist here in the South Richmond area. And um, so most of it's typical housewife stuff, the cleaning, the walking, sure. the dogs, the laundry, cookie meals. But lately, um, largely because of preparation for the New Zealand hunt, uh, Kate introduced me to a gentleman, uh, Bill Curry. He's a retired uh, mechanical engineer, and so he helped prepare me rifle-wise to hunt New Zealand and those long-distance shots that you would have to take, um, and before I left for New Zealand, Bill then said to me, well, when you come back, we're going to get into tactical pistol shooting. Awesome. <laughs> so it's like, okay, and, and learning <laughs> to reload ammo, and it's like, okay. <laughs> I'll do so what that's you what say. I'm doing. That's what I do today. And of course, I, I, I work out. I've just done that most of my life. So I'm, I'm at the gym at least six days a week, usually. That is amazing. And a lot more than I've been doing. I went this morning <laughs> at 5 a.m. I'm pretty proud of myself. Oh, that's pretty good at 5. <laughs> uh, it's hard to come home when you're, I get home at like oh, yeah. 6 or 7 and I just have no energy. So yeah, good and for I, you I, for getting it in there. Yeah. Yeah, if it doesn't happen in the morning, it's not going to happen for me either. <laughs> yeah, that's typically how it goes. 
Now, you said you've been doing, like you just said, you've been doing fitness. You've been really involved in fitness. It's been a big part of your life for a long time. Um, but has shooting and has hunting been in your life just the same? No. Um, actually, I didn't get into shooting. I didn't even pick up my first gun until probably my later 40s. Wow. And um, another area where we're spoiled in is that um, my husband and I had decided we wanted to purchase a second piece of property. And it would be in the mountains, and we'd heard about the Homestead Resort. So we went up there, and it's located in Bath County, Virginia. Um, it's called Hot Springs. Um, and if you go there, I don't know if you've ever been there. It's actually not far from Josh and Rochelle's place. Oh, cool. Uh, but it is very pristine, very beautiful, and immediately reminded us of Scotland. So we, we bought a lot there, became members of the Homestead. At the resort, they have an incredible gun club. Um, that is headed by a man named David Judah and a great team. And so um, we w took our boys up there, and it, it, this uh, I'm stereotyping too, but I thought, you know, this this looks like a really good boy thing to do. Let's yeah. take them clay shooting. And so we did go up to the homestead, and they have uh, four skeet fields. They have trap. They have five stand and two great sporting clay horses. Wow. And so when they start you, we had never held a gun before. Uh, my guys hit it right away. They have a great eye-to-hand coordination. And then it was my turn. And uh, Don Ryder, who is the, the, the gentleman who was working with us, and I work still with Donnie Ryder, um, he had me nailing my first clay in no time. And wow. I, I was hooked. And it was to the point where my boys were looking at Don going, somebody needs to take the gun out of mom's hand. <laughs> I love that. So when we were going up there to visit, um, I, we would go clay shooting, and I was—I looked at Don. How can I do this for the rest of my life? <laughs> and wow. He introduced me to a woman that just happened to be there at the time, Elizabeth Lanier, who had started a grits group called Girls Really Into Shooting, and you might have seen yeah. them on various social media sites. I've seen that on Facebook. And I've been—I was involved with them and took lessons with Elizabeth for a while. In that group, I met a woman, and this was probably nine years ago, wow. so that's when I first picked up a shotgun, and six months after I started taking lessons, Elizabeth arranged a hunt, had arranged an all-women's hunting trip to Argentina, bird hunt, wow. and with the GRITS group, um, the uh, Annie Oakley's, which is a women's shooting group out of Atlanta, Georgia, also went, some of their members went. So that was my first hunting experience, and I was I was hooked. That was bird hunting, and then um, through the bird... doves down in Argentina. Yes, I mean that's we... a dream. Oh, and it, I, well, you can't miss. I mean, after three days, you better have a bird boy. Your arms feel like they're going to fall <laughs> off, and the food is amazing. But um, so um, we, I continued to do the the shoots that Elizabeth arranged, and through that group, met a woman named Brenda Stanley. Brenda had been safari hunting in Africa, and um, I had expressed an interest. Somebody had put a bug in my ear about researching it, and Brenda's like, well, I've, I've been hunting, and I can help you with that, because it turns out her husband, Dennis Stanley, um, is partnered with another gentleman who's well-known in the, um, in, in, with shooting instructing, and that's Henry Baskerville. And there are actually DVDs out there of Henry instructing on, on clay shooting. Oh, very cool. Henry has arranged hunts to Africa for four decades, and I love him. He's just a wealth of stories. He's very gifted and very southern gentleman. And so Dennis and he have been arranging trips 
um, I don't know for how long, but it was through meeting Dennis that I signed on for my first safari in 2012. And with the idea, I'd take three, four animals. Well, forget that. You're, I ended up with seven. Holy <laughs> and, and moly. Some, and, and some bird hunting. Well, you go to Africa, you're hooked. That's it. That was my first big game hunt, 2012. And Henry and Dennis prepped me for the entire trip in terms of what to expect, what was going to be said to be my, by my um, professional hunter, um, in terms of shooting, um, in shooting in various positions. And so, um, I mean, literally when the plane landed after that hunt, I was almost in tears because it was like, how am I going to ever equal that experience? It was just so phenomenal. And anybody you'll see, hear from anybody who's hunted Africa, hunted it for the first time there. It, it's, it's just the outside of giving birth to my two sons. It's <laughs> the most amazing experience in the world. So, and you're just, it becomes a drug. It's addicting. So. Wow. Now you found a love for shooting right off the bat, going on that trip and you went straight to Argentina then straight to South Africa or to Africa. I, I did do some creeping back in 2013 on your first Instagram post. Um, I w was looking at it because I was just kind of like, I want to see really where Christina um, started sharing on social media all of these things. And you did right from the get-go. Um, and it's a very tasteful photo of your, of your hunt in South Africa. Um, but it seems like you must have had other hunting experience, I would have thought, um, in the States before going overseas and getting on a plane to do these hunts. So what was that like going in, in such an, ex to an extreme right off the bat? <laughs> I mean, a blessing. It felt like a blessing. Yeah, it, it really was. I mean, I hunted in Argentina and with, through Fritz again, I, there was a duck hunt down in North Carolina, but really no big game hunting. That trip to South Africa was my first ever. And like I said, I, I was fortunate to have met and know Dennis and Henry sure. um, because they were a wealth of information to prepare me for that hunt. So uh, how I felt was very blessed. We went with another couple um, who were longtime hunters and shooters and been to Africa. I don't know how many times less than Carolyn Webb. And I knew them less is a, a general dentist. So we knew him through the dental community oh, cool. and um but no it it was i you know i bought the my first rifle was a remington 30-06 it can take um any antelope animal in south africa um and elon i might move to a 375 holland holland which i bought later to do my buff hunt but um the 30-06 is a perfect rifle for me and again dennis helped me with that helped me get it adjusted i do have a um recoil device on it um so i just listened to everything he said and everything he did and dennis was with me on those initial hunts in 2012 so he was there um making sure everything went smoothly and um i mean it did i mean the, the i always say the animals read the rule book i i pull the trigger and you just go down yeah. and that's it the end um you hate you hear the stories where they get up and run off right like, you might have no. missed or you injured it i did try to deer hunt um about three years ago here in virginia it was just a one-time thing um we saw plenty of deer but nothing that i would have taken a shot on um and if i do i'm there's a chance i will be deer hunting with Kate oh, and fun. Bill this fall 
um, and for me, it would be more meat. I would like to take a nice dough with some age on her, and uh, because I want to get to that point where you're, and that's kind of what got me interested in honey is I want to be one of those that take it from the field, uh, field dress it, prep it, and take it all the way to the dinner table. Yes, I love and, that. Yeah, I do. I, I agree. I think so. that's like the ultimate goal is to really be the only one whose hands are on your meat and to be able to provide for your family in that way. Um, it's such an emotional roller coaster from start to finish. But I think once you have that moment, it's so rewarding in so many ways. And it's, it's really interesting because the anti-hunters is one of the, their attacks against female hunters where you're supposed to be the nurturer and this have these emotions, these warm, cuddly emotions. And, and more so than, say, males. Uh, yes, we are the, definitely the nurturers, but who are going to nurture first on our own children? Right. And even in, in Robert Rourke's book, Horn of the Hunter, he talks about how men are the providers providing for the helpless wife and their cubs. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Back that up. Let's look at, let's look at the African lion. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah. Who, who, who is the hunter? It's the lioness. Who is the one who teaches the male and female cubs to hunt. Right. It's it's the lioness. How much more nurturing is that? And they'll see the lioness providing for her family. Think, oh, that's warm and fuzzy. Well, why is that different than for um, the woman hunter? You know, uh, for us to go out and hunt and then be able to provide for our family. And providing is always first and foremost when when these female hunters go out and and take their first deer, bringing it home and feeding their family. Like you said, the only ones who touch it, there's no garbage in the meat. Right. It's lean protein you can't. But one of my questions I wanted to ask, going back to kind of the non-hunters and the confusion of when you're going to South Africa or you're going to these African um, excursions and you're supporting anti-poaching efforts, I think a lot of hunters might not understand that. Um, because you're hunting, but you're also supporting anti-poaching. And I think a lot of people don't see the difference in that. Well, and just to give an example, I took a hunter education course before I got into hunting here in the state of Virginia. And um, one of the points that was brought up that in my grandfather's day, if you went out into the woods of Virginia and looked for deer footprint, you would be lucky if you saw one. Right. Now come to, to Virginia now. We we are they are just they're like dogs. They're <laughs> everywhere. It's nothing in my little neighborhood and now the area behind my home is wooded and it's conservation, it's protected to, to see ten, fifteen deer, doe and fawns out there. Um and basically waving at you. Right. <laughs> you know, they're safe. <laughs> and um, but that is due to hunters of the state of Virginia. And tragically, when you don't have enough hunters, and this is true not only here in Virginia, it's also true in Africa, that if the numbers are not controlled, certain numbers are not controlled, then the game wardens have to come in, and all they're doing then is culling. They're shooting the animal. The meat is wasted. Mm -hmm. Um, In Africa, they cull elephants. They have to. There are too many in in a particular area, or they become problem animals where they're wiping out the villagers' crops, um, that meat is wasted. And where a hunter could have taken that animal and all the, the money going back into conservation and that meat going to feed the African people, it, it's wasted. Right. And um, I try to see my world. 
is my little world of suburbia. Nobody hunts. And I mean, I can tell you, I can't tell you how many times I run into friends and I get this mortified look in their eyes. (laughs) Like, how did you get into all this? Because my Facebook site came as a result of that hunt in Argentina. I wasn't on Facebook and didn't care. But they were posting these pictures. And I was like, okay, I want want to see what these pictures are. So the account was largely set up for the purpose of shooting and hunting. And then my friends started following me and I had to warn them, well, this is what it's about. So now they question it. So this gives me a window because these are not anti-hunters. These are non-hunters. Right. This now gives me a window. They don't have an opinion. They, they can see, yeah, they really don't have, well, they just don't have an opinion. So I start posting um, the DSC Dallas Safari Club comes up with great videos on the importance of hunting and conservation. Ivan Carter. And I tell them, if you really want to truly understand the significance or importance that hunting plays in conservation, watch Ivan Carter. Mm-hmm. And um, so I make these posts and hopefully they'll see them. Also about gun control, um, a big issue in our country. And you can see how each state now, state by state, are becoming very divided on that issue. And trying to educate them on the numbers are increasing for women um, to becoming gun owners. And um, that these are law-abiding people who just are seeking to protect their family or they're just in the shooting sports. Right. So. It is, it is interesting how you kind of see the evolution of social media and with your hobbies, too. I think not a lot of people may have had the nerve, I guess you could say, to say something online or bash you about um, a hobby like shooting or like hunting. But have you noticed an evolution of the feedback you receive from your friends and followers of more supportive since you've kind of educated your following? I'm, because they're not in the world, that's not their greatest concern. But like when the Cecil debacle was all over the news and people in Zimbabwe do not name their animals, so that's ludicrous. But um, then people came to me and wanted to know what is, here was the interesting thing. They wanted to know the truth of the story. Sure. So here it was liberal media putting it one way. What is the truth? Of, tell, me, tell me the truth of that story. And so I could then explain, yes, it was a legal hunt. Yes, he took a lousy shot. Yes, he did. Yes, we know he had a collar, but you could hunt collared animals, especially when they're roaming in here or other areas outside um, in other um, concessions that are huntable. And he was no line. So I, I, I could go and explain the details of the hunt and that it was all legal and um, he was an old lion. It was his time. And, and um, so, yeah, I mean, it opens doors when stories like that do come out because the the anti hunters are extremely loud. And when Botswana stopped elephant hunting and now have opened it up again um, and the, it doesn't matter to the anti hunters that they are decimating uh, land and, and the people of Africa's crops and that they can't eat if those crops are destroyed. They don't care about any of that. They're sure. operating simply on emotions and not on the facts. Yeah, absolutely. You hit the nail right on the head with that. I mean, I think a lot of people are just see- exactly, they're just seeing the photo um, of what may have happened and just not even reading the article or trying to gather information. They're just right then and there making an opinion based off of headlines. And I agree that as we as hunters have to be very careful 
about how we post that photo. Now, are we smiling? Yes. Sure, because they tell us to smile. You, 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 we all grew up from little kids. Every time the camera was in front of us, we were told to smile. So you smile. And if we smile for any reason, um, it's, it's pure gratitude that the hunt went the way that it should. It's very interesting, that video they created of my um, tar hunt. And I remember after I took the tar, um, Chris, my um, professional hunter and outfitter, looked at me and said, well, are you happy? And then I go back and see that video, and I look like I'm about <sighs> to cry. I'm like, oh, my, oh my goodness. God. I'm like, what is wrong with me? But at that moment, it's you are so grateful that right. that animal went down. He went down quickly. He did not suffer. That, right. um, yes, when you finally, the pictures are taken, you're more relaxed and elated. That, uh, and you're proud. Yeah. And, but we, we need to be careful. First of all, people posturing themselves on top of the animal, or, mm. you know, or the blood, you know, clean that up, make it less gory looking, you know, present right. the Respect animal. Respect its life. Exactly. And, um, you know, there's the question I have, I have, uh, did I mount the cape and the horns? And I said, yes. And people are like, well, that's gross. You have animal heads in your home. I'm like, or first, no, it's first, so amazing and beautiful. Well, first of all, it's not the actual head. I have to explain to them that the cape and horns are from the animal, but you wear leather shoes. The only difference between the cape on the on the, the, the plastic foam in, mouth that fits inside or the cape fits around and your shoe is one shaped into a shoe and one was shaped back into a spring butt. But then it <laughs> takes the artistic work of a taxidermist to recreate right. that animal moment and make him come back to life because they have to paint the eyes and this is painting on the skin and the mouth. And so, and, and then they say, why can you do that? It's because I'm now part of that animal's life story because I, I right. took that animal and that was an incredible moment. And that animal deserves to be respected and he deserves to be for me remembered because we shared that life story at that moment. And um, so, yeah, hunters, I totally agree, need to be very careful of the pictures we post. My Facebook account is locked down. Um, my Instagram account, occasionally I'll get somebody that'll, that'll message me something ugly. I don't bother even to read it anymore because um, right. you're not dealing with somebody who's rational. So um, there's no point. Others will debate with them, but that's their choice. But, yeah, hunters need to be very careful of the photos we post, and I try to be very respectful of mine. Well, I think that's awesome, and I think you're such a great influence, too, for a lot of young generations, and specifically female um, generations who want to be hunters or who are interested in the outdoors, and that's really my goal of this whole podcast is that whether you are realizing it or not, that you're an influence for all of these women who are interested but kind of nervous because of the backlash that they hear that they other people are getting, um, but I hope this is a resource, and all of your experiences are so amazing. So I'm so glad you're sharing all of this. Um, but I want to know, how did you learn all of this? Like, how did you learn everything that's going on in Africa? Is it through your guides? Is it through just the experiences themselves? And how are you able to just kind of absorb it all? Well, like I said, when I created the, the Facebook site, um, largely it was like when I took an interest in safari hunting, started friending a variety of safari outfitters knowing I was going to be hunting with Henry and Dennis as my agents. And they they hunt with a, a wonderful um, outfit called Crusader Safaris. And it's owned by Andrew Pringle, who's located in the eastern 
Cape of uh, South Africa, although he has hunted various concessions on the um, East Coast and Kroonstad, which is in the middle of South Africa and so forth. Um, but anyway, it, it, anybody who wants to get into hunting, especially hunting in another country and a specific um, animal, you've got to do a lot of research uphand. And what does it take to, to uh, what does that hunt um, take, require? Um, what kind of shape do I need to be in? Uh, what caliber rifle should I use? What is this animal like? What, you know, how, what's the best way I'm going to hunt it? What's the terrain I'm going to be hunting on? And you just start researching it. Um, and a lot of, there are a lot of people, outfitters out there willing to answer any questions you have. For instance, um, one of the, the highest poached um, animals, of course, is rhino, the rhino horn. And people are like, why are they taking it? Does it really have any medicinal value? And that takes research, talking to outfitters. No, it's nothing more than a fingernail. There is no medicinal value to it. Wow. And um, yes, they do remove the horn and it does grow back. Um, so then, you know, then from that come other issues. Um, when you talk about conservation of an animal too, one of the things I've learned is that you cannot look at conservation of just that animal without taking into account the country where it's being hunted, the government, right. the people who are affected by the hunt, what happens. You can look at the whole ecosystem. Exactly. And again, it just came from years of asking questions and then looking at deep, watching DVD. Craig Boddington's video, for instance, really helped me prepare to hunt Cape Buffalo. And, and he goes into detail of caliber and preparing and um, what to expect with buffs and um, then, of course, you, you fall in love and start reading books from Robert Rurick to Ernest Hemingway, <laughs> and, and um, you, you fall in love with Africa. But you cannot hunt as a human being and not be concerned about conservation. It, it just right. goes hand in hand. Or to be an ethical hunter, at least, because there it, are some that aren't. Oh, there. definitely, definitely. And, and um, it's... It, well, anyway, it just took mm -hmm. asking more questions and looking to people like Ivan Carter and and uh, because someone asked me, um, well, if if you hunt that animal, if there wasn't any pos something positive that came out of it, um, such as protecting the animal and so forth, would you pick up the gun again? And I said, absolutely not. I mean, if it was mm -hmm. to feed my family, that's one thing. But I'm not in that situation. I can go to the grocery store and buy the, the, the so-called organic meat. But right. my family won't starve, push comes to shove. But, um, but when it comes to knowing that um, it's about animal conservation, controlling numbers, that it serves a much bigger picture, providing meat to people, protein that they wouldn't have otherwise in, in African villages, um, you bet I want to be a part of that. And the experiences uh, of going there, going to another country, meeting other people, hearing different languages, tasting foods you've never had before is all part of the excitement and the wonderfulness of, of hunting in other countries. It really sounds like just such an unimaginable experience unless you just go ahead and completely immerse yourself in it. Um, I'm really interested to know because I, I know it took a while and you were dedicating yourself to specific range days um, leading up to yours and Kate's trip to New Zealand. What was that um, preparation like? Was How did you know, okay, today's the day I need to start? Because um, for some people, when they're going to run a marathon, they need X amount of months in advance. Right. 
um, to know that they're going to be well equipped to run. How do you know how to kind of gauge that up for that trip? Well, a lot of that was my my wanting to get back into the rifle because it was a, my last safari hunt in South Africa was 2016. And so I had not really touched my rifle since that hunt. And so I let Kate know after we did the fishing trip. Um, so that was a little less than, than 12 months away. I really want to get back into the gun. So she set it up with Bill Curry and then in the fall we started. And it, it really, a lot of it depends on your experiences. There are people right. who have grown up just hunting all their lives, men and men and women. So it's second nature for them. And case in point is Don Ryder, the, the, the gentleman I work with at um, the homestead to shotgun shoot. I actually shot with him this past Saturday. It's like breathing for them. So when they prepare for a hunt, they might take less time than, say, someone like me, who is still... Still, I consider myself a novice, um, and they they're used. They've hunted every day of their life. They've hunted bow to muzzleloader to rifle shooting. They've done it all. It's second nature, so they they might prepare a whole lot less than someone like me. So, and then Bill and I, Bill Fortune, just loves to go out and shoot. So we just went out every week. Every Wednesday was our day. And um, still our day, and we would go out and, and rifle shoot. And they start you always, if you're going to start somebody for the first time on a rifle, you're going to start with a low caliber, say a 223, no recoil. And you're going to shoot that for a little while, and then they're going to slowly progress with the calibers. And then work on distance. Um, a Cavalier Rifle and Pistol has a distance course that goes out to 600 yards now. So... The interesting thing, the funny thing with preparing for New Zealand, and I tell them this when I hunt Africa, is that I want I want to get 200 yards or less. You want to get me in 200 yards. That's what I'm comfortable with. And I've shot distance, and I know I can shoot distance, but for my peace of mind and knowing I can take that shot easy, I want under 200 yards. <laughs> right. Then you get to New Zealand. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, that's where we got to New Zealand. Um Closer to New Zealand, all of a sudden Bill's taking me out to 300 and 400 and 600 yards, which wow. is fun to do. But it's like, no, I'm not shooting this far. <laughs> so right. You learn with the terrain, it doesn't quite work that way. And so it was a little over 300 yards on the tar and it was close to 400 on the um, fallow deer. So, wow. and fortunately, because they prepared me for it um, and I, I could take those shots and they were they thank god were great shots so and they're beautiful animals i'm every time i look at that i'm like oh my goodness and seeing the terrain like you mentioned the terrain looks absolutely well first of all it's a breathtaking view right. but it looks very difficult to manage and to climb up and down finding a spot to glass but um you mentioned that people who might be preparing for a hunt like this, who have been hunting all their lives. It's like breathing to them. Now you say fitness has been a part of your life for a long time. Was training for the terrain in New Zealand, just like breathing for you, was it kind of an easier thing to grasp because you've already been in the fitness world? Um, in terms of the physical aspect, yes, I, I could easily handle it. And um, I could not go to speed that Chris McCarthy does. He's six foot tall. And he, he moves <laughs> like a mountain goat. And fortunately, even, oh even his wife, Bronwyn, said she was amazed at how well he moves through those mountains. So that made me feel good because she's a New Zealander. Um, that, And I also noticed that uh, 
Chris will take, I don't so much apprentices. They're usually been hunters all their life as well, but young, young people that want to come over and hunt New Zealand and they'll come and work for him. And the, the payment is they get to hunt New Zealand animals themselves. And on this trip, it was a, a 23 year old named Augustus Carr, Gus. And he hunted, uh, he hunts in Alaska. He's a bear and doll sheep wow. hunter. He's a phenomenal young man. Um, so the, the, the one plus is when we, we got, we kept going up to as Chris said, that knob. Okay, we're going to go up further to that knob. You, you can see at the beginning one video what the steepness of that elevation was. Um, and I would get up there with Chris and I'm like, <sighs> and Chris is like, there's no sound. So when Gus got up there, of course, he's climbing the mountains of Alaska. He gets up there and he's right. like, <sighs> I was like, wow, oh, good. <laughs> and he's 23 years old. But now I would like to go back and do, now that's, I, I did free range. That's my choice. Um, escape hunts tend to be easier, um, but I, that's not the kind of hunting I want to do. I want free range. Um, I want the, the experience and I would like go to go back and hunt. Um, now New Zealanders call them chamois. We say chamois, um, and that's more of an alpine hunt. And and I do have a fear of falling, but that's going to really require that I stay strong. And so I now have a personal trainer, <laughs> just for legs, who who kills me every time I work out with him. And he, <laughs> last time, a couple of days ago, when I worked with um, Scott's my trainer. Um, worked with him. He says, well, you know, I've done my research and I've been researching this hunting. And he goes, so we're going to put a new twist to your workout. Oh, wow. So he had me do this circuit. <laughs> he had me do it three times. I'm like, I'm looking for the garbage pails at this point because I'm about to you know, oh, chuck my, my weedies. And it's like, please don't make me do that a fourth time. Unfortunately, we moved on to other equipment. But uh, um, yeah, it's I I have no you don't know what to expect, so you just kind of give it your all. Unfortunately, yes, I could handle the terrain going up and down the mountains, and but um, there are a lot of people who can't quite handle that for a variety of reasons. Um, so yes, if you're going to do that free range or alpine hunt in New Zealand, you better be prepared. So yeah, I can imagine. And what a cool trainer! He doesn't hunt himself. No, he doesn't. But he is a bodybuilding trainer. He trains actually forty to eighty years olds, and their bodies. I've seen them. The pictures are phenomenal. And it, well, that's that's so cool that he's like, well, I've been looking into this hunting thing. Like exactly. that, he's so dedicated. So you know that you're with, with the right person. Well, I kind of made talked about that today. I've been really blessed to have some great coaches who love what they do and this is a yeah. trainer that just moved here to richmond because his mother's not doing well moved here from florida where they tra mm. train three or you know well they show skin 365 days a year so a lot of florida floridians uh, are into bodybuilding and um yes he's he's very buff himself and um when we are working out people are watching us too <laughs> probably trying to copy his <laughs> his exercise routine so and I, I try not to make noise <laughs> this, guy, this guy doesn't let up I mean he's doing what I call climbing ladders he's adding sets without you stopping and then he's doing drop sets where he's removing your weight wow. again without you you is stopping and I the one thing I have to say I have learned about myself is that 
I will continue on through the pain. I told him, I said, maybe be slow as a snail, but I'll move through the pain. It just gets to point literally in an exercise where it's like, those legs just aren't going to move anymore. They've hit a wall. They're just like absolute <laughs> jello. I know the feel. <laughs> so he's, uh, so yeah, I, that's my advice. If you really want to do that hunt and there's nothing physically impairing you from doing so, they get a good trainer or, you know, do your research on exercises to prepare for that kind of a hunt. So, yeah. So what are the kind of, what are the kind of exercises, I guess you, been doing have you always what did you do um growing up as hobbies that really inspired your passion for fitness now well as a little kid I always loved to run and so after college I got back into running and um when I met and married my husband and I had my children I met a woman that loved to run too we hooked up and we were ended up spending 13 years running together oh that's so sweet. and it started out as five miles grew to 10 20 miles we'd go out and run and yeah, we ran through the the growing periods of our children's lives, the death of our parents, grandparents, um, uh, and then I developed what's called iliotibial band syndrome. It's common with female runners, and it's just that band outside the knee because of the way we built, we're wide at the hips, narrow at the knees. That band rubs against the knee, and it became inflamed. Um, and so yeah, I had an orthopedic surgeon. It's not something you can run through; you just make it worse. Told me basically to stop running. And I wow. thought, no, no, I can't do that. So working with a physical therapist, I learned that if I lifted leg weights, I no longer have that problem with ITB syndrome. And that started me lifting weights. And then eventually I joined this. We have a probably one of the larger gold gyms in the country here in Midlothian. And um, started working with trainers and on my own. And Literally, if, if when I'm working out, if I'm not working out, I'm, I'm looking at videos on different exercises. Again, you just start doing your research. Right. And um, so I've learned, again, how a 20-year-old woman exercises. You can do more cardio. Um, as a woman gets to be 40 and 50, that your workout needs to radically change. Because now, not just women, but men, your muscles are atrophying. So you've got to combat that. And the only way you can do that is by bodybuilding and or yeah, lifting weights. And so um, the cardio needs to decrease because cardio can take away from that muscle building process. And so for older women, you want to decrease your cardio. I've seen some say three times a week, 15, 20 minutes pop max. And yeah. then put your energies into weightlifting. And I can't emphasize that enough. Um, genetically, I'm prone to osteoporosis. They told me I could not stop it. Um, they said I had an 11% bone loss in a femur. Fortunately, oh, not my hips, not my spine. And they attributed that to years of running. But when I went back and where you would have um, several years later, where you would have thought it would have progressed, I, in that period, I started really lifting weights and working with personal trainers. I had zero bone loss. And so wow, they were made. Yeah, so it's, it's just to any woman, once you get into those 40s, um, your genetics kind of kicking gears, your autoimmune issues. In my early 40s, I probably had five friends diagnosed with some form of cancer, um, four with breast mm -hmm. and one with a brain tumor. All are alive today. But that's just a time where women really need to get into bodybuilding, unless you're, you're going to look at doing it professionally, then, you know, later 20s, early 30s. 
Right. So, yeah, that's largely why I stay in the gym and bodybuild. And you see how big I am, right? <laughs> oh, my. Well, I was very impressed. You are very in shape when we met a year ago. I can only imagine after all of your training and your hunts that you've gone quite more muscle. <laughs> I hope. I hope. Now, in addition to that, you must be fueling your body really well. Well, eating again, that evolves. If you talk to women in the 40s and 50s, um, what you could eat as a young person is not what you can eat when you get older. And as they say, one man's food is another man's poison. Um, it feeds the yeah. autoimmune issues, and you kind of have to figure all that out. My little issues have creeped up um, as I've gotten older, and so I've had to work around food. Um, yeah, I, I tend to eat lower carb, high, high protein. Um, protein is a big part of my diet, so fortunately I'm a carnivore. <laughs> so, and I prefer to eat my protein, not suck it up in a shake or in some powder form uh, or right. pop a pill. So I'm forever looking at various um, ways to eat, especially bodybuilders, what they're feeding their body. Um, so that does change in, in align with my own issues. I, I don't eat, uh, I can't eat sugar. I, my body doesn't break it down anymore. That's very common for people's age. And um, the, the insulin, how your body handles insulin. Um, so I tend to watch the carbs. That's why. So, yeah, I, I mean, there are other things I don't eat just because of issues I've developed. And I know I now have sensitivities to those foods. And everybody eventually will develop those. Sure. So how are you when you are traveling, when you're going to South Africa or you, when you went to New Zealand and you're on these long flights because I can only imagine that my longest flight has been six hours yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure that's nothing to what you've been on how do you just keep yourself staying healthy do you have any tips or tricks for kind of light packing but packing enough uh in terms of packing for the trip well preparing for the flight uh, to get to South Africa is an 18-hour flight you get an hour layover in um uh, Senegal where they which is funny they refuel the plane and then the, these people come on board with masks on and they spray something down the aisles. What? And you're like, where, where, where is my mask? <laughs> yeah, it's really concerning. And, and you take off and you go on to South Africa. Well, after three trips, I haven't gone on a third eye or anything like that. So. <laughs> oh my God. But um, it, it is a haul. And, and we kind of calculated Kate and I from the time we left my house to the time we got to the lodge in, in uh, the South Island of, of New Zealand. It was a 32 hour haul. Holy cow. And that is a big, big stressor on the body. And uh, I right. kind of felt it when I got there. I thought, okay, if this continues, she's going to have to take me to some form of a patient first. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but, but here's the bizarre thing. Whenever we go outside another country, whether it's South Africa or New Zealand, it clears everything up. Um, Kate can't eat gl uh, gluten here in our country, but when she goes to New Zealand, she's snarfing bread down. Because the issues we have here in the United States, because of what they put in the foods and uh, how food are processed here in our country, we don't have those interests, when our, our issues rather, when we go to South Africa or New Zealand or wherever else, Argentina. You just don't have those problems. Like, you wonder, why do we have the problems then? Why? Yes, yes. That's, so interesting. That's the scary thing. Even when I go to restaurants that are more wholesome, pure foods, I mean, I'm eating raw oysters, so you can't add anything to it. 
Um, but if I eat anything else, Love sa- sa- yeah, or sauces and so forth, uh, I generally almost develop an issue um, in the next couple of days as opposed to being in another country. So it really, really is. So it does scare you <laughs> about the food in America. That is scary. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm taking notes on all these things because <laughs> if I ever do go on these trips, I'm like going to indulge in all the breads and learn what I can't have here and can have over there. Um, the the so, big thing is eating their foods. And sometimes they'll say, well, we knew you were coming. So we were looking into American dishes. We're like, no, 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 don't do that. It's not <laughs> what we want at all. Exactly. Oh, that's pretty funny. Now, through all of your excursions and your fitness goals and regimes, you seem to really have a day-to-day down packed. You sounds like you spend a lot of time in research and making sure that you have everything in line before kind of pursuing the next next opportunity. And what's really interesting to me is how is your family affected by all of it? And a family of all boys at that, as we mentioned earlier, what do they think of all of this? I think my boys are proud of, of my accomplishments. I'm certainly different than the other mothers. <laughs> pretty, in, pretty cool in, mom. In our, in our world. <laughs> For my oldest especially, it has driven his desire to travel more. He just got back from a 20-day uh, sightseeing in Europe with a buddy who spent a week in Venice. Oh, yeah, went to Bosnia, Croatia. So wow. he, he definitely has the travel bug. Um, my husband... Dave, I think, is very proud of me, I, but he's kind of archaic in his thinking, you know, a wife going off and uh, traveling and doing these hunts when I should be, you know, with him. He's tried to get me interested in golf. Uh, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's not going to happen. That's not gonna what, happen. Is that? what is that? Yeah. What, you know what's more hilarious today when we went shooting? There's a golf ball there with a massive hole in it. Somebody, and I don't know what they That is I too found funny. it on the ground. I actually took pictures of it. Eventually, I'll post it, but it's like. I always say, well, I'll get into golf if you'll let me shoot your ball. <laughs> yeah, guess another wife's husband's trying to get them into golf, too. But, uh, you know, they, the heads are up on a wall. I think he's very proud. Interestingly, though, every time we have a workman come into the home, they're like, oh, did your husband take all these animals? Every time. Every time. Really? I, I, I well, at, of course they would think that. That's so way. funny. I said, no, that would be me. <laughs> I can just picture you putting your hands on your hips and saying, nope, never mind. <laughs> so Dave, Dave, is a, Dave hunted as a boy with his father in upstate New York. They deer hunted, but it wasn't something that took off in his life. He's, he's right. a sports fanatic, loves hockey, loves New York everything. And um, oh, he's our rival, the Boston fan. Yeah, yeah he loves New York <laughs> Rangers. And so, and Dave and my oldest is the same way. They have a love of sports, but. Um, but it wasn't something Dave really got into. He's a great shot, though. If we go, if we go sporting clay shooting, Dave will go with me, and he'll, he does the shooting social events at the club when they have them. Sure. So that's such a fun date too. Oh yeah, you can't go wrong with that. There's, it's not. You don't even need to be a hunter to be involved in shooting. I know so many people who have never um, pursued an animal and just absolutely love pulling the trigger and just being at the range and trying different things, different techniques. Um, it's really quite therapeutic. Oh, yeah, it definitely is. And I, I, I jokingly say, well, you could put your spouse's face on a clay. It would be great marriage therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, yeah. Yeah, that would with probably all the save a lot of money. On. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, it, it is a great date. And it's great to meet, get with friends as well and, and shoot. I, I personally prefer uh, the couple's shoots 
the mixed um, shoots as opposed to all female. That's more my preference. So, I would definitely say so. That'd be so much fun to do. Elliot, my boyfriend, and I are moving up to New Hampshire where owning a gun is a little easier than in Massachusetts. Um, so he's he is a gun fanatic. He's I don't know the names of all of them, but he's super interested. Yeah, and there are a lot out there. Wow. Yeah, so yeah. many. He's so interested in kind of starting his collection and um, he's got his eye on a few, but we're looking for a range and a place where we're able to do kind of a, maybe a Sunday morning shoot or something like yeah. that. So it's definitely something that's on our radar, but what's the next big thing on your radar? What do you have coming up that you're training for um, and that you're kind of getting equipped to pursue? Well, the tactical pistol shooting I'm doing right now, just for fun with Bill and wanting to get into reloading a lot of it just just basically teaching me to more about my weapons and and um, the better understanding when people are talking ballistics, what they think works, what doesn't, having a better understanding of that. So that's more for fun. But in terms of hunting, um, my husband and I talked about Scotland. Um, I would love. I was going to ask about that. What was the reference when you were talking about? And I don't mean to interrupt you, but I guess I am interrupting you. Um, when you were talking about going to the homestead and it reminded you of so much of Scotland, what's that connection? Uh, well, the beauty of the land. Of course, my ancestors are from Scotland, like most gotcha. of okay. good part of the United States. Um, and we went there um, back when David just graduated. My oldest son just graduated from high school. We immediately left for Scotland. So it was in June. Fell, fell in love with it. There were areas we didn't see out of sky. Um, I contacted, um, there's a couple, Simon and Selena Barr. They currently live in Scotland, and they're, um, but Selena is, is both are well-known hunters out of the UK, and I contacted her for advice on an outfit, um, and she gave me the information. They have access to several estates in Scotland on the Isle of Skye, so um, that's a dream, because that was one part of Scotland Dave and I had not gone to. And um, I've told Kate I definitely want to go back in 2021 and hunt with Chris McCarthy again. And he's, you know, he's seen that I'm, I'm, I'm preparing for it too as well, um, <laughs> to, to go after the, the chamois or chamois, however you want to pronounce it. And um, right. the, I definitely want a red stag. We, we glassed for them. They are such an elegant creature. To me, the most elegant in uh, South Africa is the, um, the sable. And there, it oh, that yeah. has that elegance. Um, the red stag as of the stable and the way they move and walk. It's so royal. So, right. um, yes, I definitely get a red stag. That would be incredible. I would love to go to Scotland. My family, I mean, Macubri Scottish. Uh, yeah, um, you're now yeah, I guess there's a Kubri Lane over there or something. I'm like, I need to go over there. Oh, uh, well, it is. It, you'll fall in love. And, and I always said there was no other place I would want to live um, other than Virginia than, than except for Scotland. Of course, really? that changes now for New Zealand. And, and some of the big reasons <laughs> I love New Zealand, um, one of the, the magic moments that Kate and I had was when they were caping out the fallow deer, it was late in the day. And so by time we got it was caped out and we were moving down the mountain to only the glow of our iPhones. Um, every star possible you could see. It was wow. pitch black out, but you could go down that mountain and there's no fear predators, no snakes on New Zealand. <laughs> really? Yeah, they do have spiders, but I was like, you know. Oh yeah, no, I can't do spiders. <laughs> like, 
but no, I've got to. I was like, why was I not born on this day? So I like, <laughs> so you didn't have to worry about it. You know, I go to I go to um, the homestead, Bath County, and I have to walk my dogs, and I'm I've got to worry about black bear because they're all around us. Right. But you know, yeah. those aren't things you have to worry about in New Zealand. So. Well, it's true too. I think there's this. I'm not sure what the saying, how the saying goes, but if you were born there, you probably wouldn't appreciate it as much as you did as you went to go visit. Oh, I think so. I think the Kiwis are very proud of their country. They know the be- really? beauty of it, and it's kind of one of the people that I've gotten to know on um, on Facebook and now Instagram is Peter Ryan, and I've actually bought um, both his books that he's he's had published, and the last oh, wow. one was Hunting New Zealand. And I can't recommend it high, highly enough. I've got a copy to give to Kate, and I pass it along to a couple of friends that have hunted New Zealand. But um, he, you know, he he said, well, you know, there's plenty of reason to come back to New Zealand. There's the fjord lands, um, which I would love to see, and of course, doing the alpine hunt. But uh, yeah, New Zealand. Like uh, there was another gentleman on my side who's hunted New Zealand. I don't know how many times, but he said when God created created New Zealand he was he was showing off and that's that's, <laughs> I love that's that. true and very true so so I put that, that on your bucket list <laughs> yes it is and what is the name of the book I want to look it um up. hunting New Zealand and you can okay. follow him on Facebook and on Instagram he goes by Peter P Ryan and you'll love his photography is phenomenal he writes for various field and stream type magazines Oh, and cool. so he's well known. His um, articles are pretty well known among hunters worldwide. Good to know. I'll definitely look him up because that'll just that's right there at the beginning of my research for my my first trip over there. I would love to. Do oh yeah, that. he's a great resource. Now, what would be? We have already talked for fifty five minutes. Oh. Can you believe that? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm great at talking. <laughs> I when I think about um, when I think back to West Virginia and think about all the women that um that we met and just kind of our conversations i always think back to sitting around michelle and josh's dinner table just hearing your stories and your journey where you're from um i was like i feel like i didn't share much with them when i was reflecting on it with my family on the ride home i was like i feel so bad i didn't have any like cool stories to share they all like very oh well i really enjoy your fishing <laughs> photos i really do i was sitting there going oh, i wonder if somebody's you. done a podcast on you and a q and a on you yeah, that, oh, that's well, that's you. phenomenal. No, that's that's another thing I would love to get more into. I've been deep deep sea fishing once, um, and my dad, we as little kids, my dad was a marine. We were, he was stationed in Camp Lejeune, so we go to the beach every week, and you know we'd sit on the dock with a piece of yarn and some squid at the end. We'd catch crabs while Dad went out and caught oh, fish yeah. and caught clams. But no, we really never got into fishing. And of course, I love fish. I love anything seafood. Yes, I could live off of seafood. I, yeah. I actually recorded a podcast um, just the other night with um, a wild game chef. So I'm oh, really excited yeah. for everyone to hear about her experiences. Um, but we both agree that whenever we see tuna on a menu, it is, I don't I don't look at anything else on the menu. Yeah. <laughs> it's like what I get every single yeah, time. Yeah, especially if they cook it correctly. Exactly. Yes, I agree. Or even raw. I love raw yes. tuna. Yes, the sushi. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Love it. Uh, yeah, I'm the same way. My go-to. And great protein um, for bodybuilding, too. It's a quick way to get really um, jack up your protein grams. So I didn't know those benefits. Good to know. Adding to these notes. Um, and Courtney and I 
actually were talking about doing a Cape Cod trip with Sisterhood of the Outdoors because she has that connection and I would love to get involved with them. Um, we've been drumming up some ideas of doing kind of like a fishing oh, trip, kayak. Sign me up. I'm there. Yeah, I think you would love <laughs> it. Saltwater fishing, go um, ocean kayaking through the marshes on the Cape, on Cape Cod. It's gorgeous. It's really, and it's true. I mean, when people, I guess the people from New Zealand are very proud of where they're from. I'm really proud of Cape Cod. It's, right. And I didn't, I think, develop that um, love for it. I mean, I've always loved where I'm from, but I didn't develop, I'm missing the word right now, but the appreciation for where I'm from until I grew older and I exactly. moved away. Exactly. You take it yeah. for granted. Yes. Exactly. I mean, when I'm in Bath County and looking at the mountains and the sunsets and then I'm like, do you all really appreciate it having grown up here? And I actually even started just created a little album on the different seasons of Bath County um, because it is such a oh, beautiful, cool. beautiful area. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden now I'm seeing others who do live there, have lived there, although I begin to publish photos as well. So, yeah, I think we take it for granted. Now, did you live there your whole life? No, I, um, my dad was Marine. So I was right, born in, I'm born in Richmond, um, born in Richmond. And then we lived in North Carolina, uh, New Jersey. And then um, dad relocated. He became a Marine recruiter and moved to Des Moines, Iowa. So I took my, oh, took, wow. lost my Southern accent there. Um <laughs> <laughs> and I lived there for most of my growing up years for nine years. I know, and, wow. and that being most of the people were farmers and, and hunters, and I never picked it up. My mother worked for a bank. We just never had that exposure. And right. um, But anyway, and then, of course, I eventually came back to Virginia because my grandparents were here and my love of Virginia. So, Well, that's so cool. I, it's really inspiring that you're able to pick it up at the season of life that you did. I think that's really really inspiring well i think that that's one thing one of the reasons i post the way i post too is that it's very easy for women especially once they reach their 50s to to basically die and it kind of if you look at the design of the woman's body it's like once she gives birth to her children it's like mother nature says you can die now you've served your purpose and that's in essence what they do they they don't get out and try new things there's no zest for life uh, they don't watch what they eat, and it's. And I, I look at it sometimes like a slow suicide, and I'm I'm not going there. There's too much I haven't done, too much I haven't seen. I love that, and I think that right there is the best advice because I really wanted to ask if you could just leave um, the next generation or our listeners just a, your most important to you a word of advice um, for anyone that wants to start something new. But I think right there you kind of nailed it you know i always say when you leave the earth the only thing you get to take are your memories so make them good yes. ones so i love that well christina thank you so much you. i don't want to take up any more of your time <laughs> um before we get off i do have to ask you how do you pronounce your last name? Uh, well we <laughs> say in the united states we say Mizepper. um Ms. in Zepper. the ukraine it's nick shapir and we don't say that because oh. you actually spit on people when you say it. So we just stick to Ms. Really? We say, or, new, you know, sometimes in the back of my boys' jerseys, they would put New York zipper. Oh, that's so. funny. So, Niz Nizepper. Right. Okay, got it. So when I do my introduction, I will mail it, and <laughs> there will be no mistakes. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right, Christina, well, thank you so much. I hope you get to chat again soon. Thanks, Brenda. I hope to see you soon. I feel like a woman.